Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly cultural podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Pelin Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Zhang, a culture writer and critic. This week we're talking about Ted Lasso and Industry, two TV series that are actually both about lone Americans in the UK and how they're finding their way through that. Um, but before we get into that, I wanted to ask you, Pelin, how are you? What's up? I'm doing all right. You know, I think I'm not gonna get on the subway anymore uh gotten a little bit busier and it's freaking me out so (laughs) i'm going back to just walking everywhere how about you how's your week been how was thanksgiving happy thanksgiving oh yeah happy uh, that's like a thing yeah happy late thanksgiving i guess to all the the americans which is uh to be honest probably most of you um mine was okay (laughs) i took this time to Learn how to make mashed potatoes. I also, today I made like hand-pulled spicy Chinese noodles, like Xi'an famous food noodles for the first time. It was not really a success, but I'm I'm trying and... She's coming for you, mate. (laughs) She's coming for you. Please give me all of your uh, industry secrets. But yeah, in the meantime, as we're recording this, the Undoing finale is airing. So I'm excited to get to that. Oh my God, we are going to breeze through this recording so fast (laughs) (laughs) so we can get to this fucking finale i am dying to know who actually did it i know please okay before we like record and then actually find out who did it last last chance who was your guess who did it i think jonathan actually did it okay i agree with you after reading every single theory under the sun i'm gonna go with that too and it turns out we're pretty good at predicting things because uh in our previous episode we predicted the bake-off winner um so we're not gonna spoil that here right now but we were right you're right um and as a taurus sun and moon i love hearing that i'm right so yes um, and if it turns out we are wrong about the undoing, uh, Pellin, you know, just edit all this out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll just re-record and insert the... <laughs> the, the, the correct, correct person. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that sounds um, good. <laughs> um, um, so what's been fun about this show is that we both started our respective shows and then the latter, per- the other person caught up with it after the fact. So we're excited for this chat. Could you tell me what it, which one of the shows that you watched, Jenny, and the one that I'm now catching up with? Uh, so I watched Ted Lasso which is on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, it's a, so far, 10-episode series by Bill Lawrence, who um, people might know from Scrubs. It's also um, been developed by Jason Sudeikis, who is the the star of this. Um, Joe Kelly and Brendan Hunt, who also is plays a character in the show. It is loosely based on a character that Jason Sudeikis did for NBC Sports back in 2013, where he kind of played like a dumbass American football coach who inexplicably became the, the coach of um, a British football team. Tottenham Hotspur, yeah. Yeah. Um, and football, yeah. what we Americans like to call soccer, of course. Um, yes. But what this show does is it kind of took that that character and that concept from that uh, advertisement, I guess, and it like softened the edges a little bit. It made this new Ted Lasso, uh, new and improved Ted Lasso, who is just as folksy, but he is more importantly really optimistic and kind and good-hearted but not stupid not like a dumbass like the the promo would lead you to believe Um, yeah and he kind of has his own ups and downs and struggles but it's the same concept where that he's this American college football coach from Kansas who somehow gets hired to coach an English Premier League team despite having zero experience with non-American football and also zero experience with the UK and all the customs um, across 
the Atlantic. So that's kind of the the premise. And then it kind of goes into, you know, how the team does over this run, how he sort of like wins a respect, um, the a lot of sort of hurdles to get over. But yeah, how how far have you gotten in this series, Pellen? Um, I am halfway through episode three. And I've got to say, I watched the pilot of this about a month and a bit back. Like I was pretty early yeah. actually on the Ted Lasso train, but I watched the pilot and it didn't really do it for me back then. Yeah. Only because it just felt like you could hear the TV executives in the back being like, we need more setup. We need we need the stakes to be just out there immediately. And I was just like, all right, okay, I see what's happening. And I just kind of like didn't have the patience for it mm-hmm. if it was going to be like that for the rest of the way. Yeah. But then obviously when you said that you were going to talk about it this week, I was like, well, I guess I'll watch a couple more episodes. And honestly, even just from episode two, it's immediately better. Mm-hmm. Just because like the setup is now done. Uh, we've figured out what the stakes are. And now we could just kind of get into a little bit more of you know either character development or just like more more of the like the comedy writing and the dialogue is really really good but yeah i've been it's been fun up until now like for from two to three actually how about you have you finished it yeah i finished it i watched it all last week and i i agree the pilot starts off a little slow it's kind of um it's a show that really grows on you i think i didn't really start to get super into it until maybe halfway through the season Uh, But from then on, I was like fully committed. I wanted to know what happened to these characters, to this team. I really sort of started to care, which is, of course, a very uncool thing to do for a fictional uh, reality. But uh, yeah, this is why we're here. Yeah, we love to (laughs) get lost in delusions. It's why we have this podcast. We care about TV. We care about what it does to us. We care about like how it fills our days. And it's just becoming more and more crucial. Yeah. (laughs) Um, very true i think it's been compared a little bit to shows like schitt's creek parks and rec stuff like that like they're kind Mm. of the feel-good sitcoms that win a lot of sort of loyal fans but i think it's in my opinion it's a little bit um smarter than if not smarter than at least it it kind of uses optimism in a slightly different way than those kind of shows where it's not purely feel good but what i really liked about it is how it's ultimately about like kindness and human kindness and what it is to be a decent person yeah which is like of course we love sort of like detached irony these days like nobody wants to admit they feel anything but yeah it's there are things that the characters go through that are really relatable like divorce and breakups and even just aging out of your life's passion and, and work um or having like a troubled relationship with your dad and it kind of approaches them in a way that is it's simultaneously corny and not um i don't know if you've if you've experienced that so far no i i agree i think the whole there's a reason why like human nature in general loves stories about kindness in like despite Mm -hmm. the cruelty or like kindness and like togetherness despite all the obstacles of division that there might be in in front of you that's of course we want stories about people being nice to each other for once you know like we see i guess the thing about like prestige tv half the time is like now there's a little bit of fatigue setting in with that i think with regards to like you know we talked about it briefly with queen's gambit where we were just like oh yeah like there wasn't any (laughs) there wasn't any rape there wasn't any like you know child molestation like there was just like two people that were genuinely looking out for each other or there wasn't Mm -hmm. any misogyny we are kind of craving stories like that just because i think we're like a little bit tired of the whole you know there's going to be trauma at every turn, which way you look. Whereas, you know, you watch something like this and it's just like, you get Mm -hmm. a break from that. And that's nice. And that's just kind of like, it's good to have that a little bit in your 
you know, dietary rotation of TV. Yeah, I think think there is discussion sometimes about, especially, you know, again, not to talk too much about Queen's Gambit, but shows like that or shows like The Crown where it's like, well, I need it to, some people are like, I need it to be more realistic. I need it to depict the, you know, the historical accuracies of the time. Um, But people seem to forget that TV and film, one part of that, and art in general, a part of that is um, also escapism and entertainment and getting lost Mm -hmm. in a different world, one that maybe is similar to yours or maybe is not so similar to yours. And yeah, these shows are escapism in a way, although I don't like to think of it in like the the sort of cheapening like oh well it's a pandemic we all need to escape whatever but maybe at least it can remind you of more deeply what it means to to feel for other people to to be human and to just treat Mm -hmm. each other's with like a really great heart exactly yeah yeah i mean the best stories are obviously like no matter what it's about there's a form of relatability that you can have with the protagonist or with the characters that are being showcased and that's why you know you get into the jealousy and the hatred and the envy and and all these like little like ugly emotions that we as humans we can all relate to in some way but sometimes we just want to watch people emulate the emotions that we wish we could show more and more of or the way that we wish that we could see in other people every day Mm -hmm. more and more Um, Um, And that's kind of where this sits. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, for all the talk of it being, you know, just a a feel good, a a sweet, pure hearted thing. um, Again, I want to note that there are sort of complications and a little bit more, um, I guess, like character development than the premise would have you believe. Like people go through through hardships, people, you know, mess up and they ask for forgiveness and, and they do get forgiven sometimes or there are grudges otherwise. It is, like I mentioned, this sitting in this weird intersection of cliche and not cliche at the same time. Um, mm. Like, there are some story tropes that you would expect that they don't happen. Like, you know, for example, I don't want to spoil too much, but when the owner, Rebecca Wal- Walton, um, the team's owner, she essentially brought Ted on to make her team fail to get back at her ex-husband, who used to own the team before, you know, they had a messy divorce. So she, now she wants to sort of drive the team to the ground, and that's where Ted comes in and so to do that you know she's kind of trying to sabotage them throughout a lot of the the first season but there comes a moment where the secret comes out it's a question of like you know how do you forgive this or how do you even talk about this but minor spoiler instead of drawing it out like a lot of stories would do they would turn it into like a whole other episode of how do you win back um you know trust and and forgiveness here the main character ted he forgives her in the same scene and it's Mm. something where it's like okay, maybe that is cliche because it is like a feel-good thing, but also not cliche because that sort of subverts the the story tropes that would otherwise extend this, this plot point for a whole other episode. So it's like, it's both a little corny and also not yeah. in a really yeah. sweet way, I think. Yeah, so one of my least favorite things is when the audience is let in on a secret, but the protagonist doesn't know that secret. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it all kind of comes down together of... of of more of like a vibe <laughs> like which is yeah which i is... think is really hard to set up as a tv show like just knowing what that vibe might be um i think they did really well yeah the like you said there it's about the vibe it's about wanting to spend time with these characters which i think is a kind of hallmark a lot of, of a lot of really great feel-good sitcoms and yeah that sort of major plot point it does get resolved very quickly as you'll find out if you keep watching but it's kind of like it, it's almost mirroring how ted approaches the sport itself where he's like you know it's not about whether we win or lose or what the the end destination is it's kind of about you know the journey along the way and how we grow to love and and trust each other so 
yeah, to put that in cliche, like, not about the destination. It's it's the friends he made along the way. Yes. Um, Who's your favorite character? Oh, I kind of have a soft spot for um, the grumpy team captain, Roy Kent. Me too. Yeah, I, I kind of suspected that. <laughs> what do you too. What do you like about him? I love his little lisp. I think he's so cute. Yeah, I just, I love me a stoic man that speaks minimally and is also kind of cute in his Mm -hmm. own little way. I think in general, I think all men should speak less. And I love that for him, (laughs) you know? He knows his Um, place. Yeah, yeah, he does know his place. It's absolutely true. And hiding like a heart of gold too. Exactly. And like always speaking facts and always being honest and Mm -hmm. uh, knowing what to say, what not to say. It's very, very attractive. But no, I think in general, like as a person, I think, or as a character rather, um, he's he's definitely endearing. Yeah. And what's interesting is the the actor who plays him, Brett Goldstein, um, he was actually hired on as, as a writer for the show. And then along the way, they they decided, oh, I guess, you know, he should play Roy Kent. Um, He should just like act in the show as well. So there's your fun fact for you. Interesting. Wow. Look at that. Out of the (laughs) writer's room into the into the actor's chair. Good love that. Yeah. Love that. that. What's uh, what's interesting is around the time that I watched the pilot for this. I got suggested um, All or Nothing on Amazon Prime, which is like a mm. documentary series. Uh, actually, the most recent one is actually about Tottenham Hotspur. But it was funny because, you know, I'm obviously from the UK. I grew up an Arsenal fan. It's Arsenal till I die. And just in, just for you Americans, the context for that is basically being a Knicks fan where the fan base hates them, but also <laughs> can't. But we're also sadomasochists, so we love doing this to ourselves. Um, yeah. we, do, we will never leave. You know, we're loyal to our pain. But obviously, I haven't been in America for uh, five years. So I've forgotten a lot about football. Mm-hmm. So I started watching this documentary. And then obviously, that's very coach-orientated because it's about Jose Mourinho, who mm. takes over as coach to Hot- Tottenham Hotspurs. And then I got all the little, like... I got uh, like I, I remembered all the lingo again. Yeah. So I was going to ask... I was going to test you. Oh, God. Of, of what these things mean so sure sure what's a gaffer oh my god <laughs> they definitely the easiest question come on okay they definitely use it in in ted lasso a couple times i remember mm-hmm. the time being like what the fuck is that <laughs> um context clues were there any context clues fuck i have is that like to mess up no 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 so the no. gaffer is actually the the man the coach that's the oh, what word the for fuck? the coach yeah so it's fine don't worry okay. i also completely forgot that that was a word um do you know what an offside is at all? Okay, this is like an act, an actual joke, like in the in one of the episodes. It's where a he's running. Like, what the okay. fuck is an offside? I have no idea. What is an offside? It's also it's also like a running bit. Um, yeah, it's like a running misogynistic bit actually in the in England where they like they'll ask women like, do you even know what an offside is? It's oh, like a, it's like a marker of like if you know this rule, then you're you know one of the cool girls. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's basically like when you kick the ball ahead to someone in one part of the pitch and if they if one person is a person is in one part of the pitch and the other person isn't i could be wrong i don't want to go into too many details (laughs) but i think that's basically basically it um okay so um what how many different ways can you say the word boot or what does the different terminologies for boot in england what what can they mean boots you are referring to the shoe item that someone wears on their feet no no yeah so yeah so you you have football boots so instead of football shoes we call them football boots football boots yeah um trainers is that a thing well we call trainers if you wear the trainers are like what the normies wear out in the streets but uh a boot is what footballers wear 
on, okay. on, on the on the pitch. And then, or I guess um, in um, English, like American English, it would be cleats. I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. And then, um, wait, what's a cleat? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I feel like this is a okay. It's like um, getting lost in translation. Um, it's obviously, fine. I did not absorb any sports terminology it's, from the show. Totally fine. I think like the, I, I've got to say, like being married to an American, and you know, all the little like the the across the pond jokes like the, the us uk jokes fell a little bit flat to me yeah there were certain points in which they were really funny though so I'll, I'll give them that yeah so i think it's been sort of a breakout hit for apple tv plus um it has already been renewed for a second and a third season wow and a third yeah which is kind of wild um, for a show that literally just came out in August. Um, well, probably because I think Apple TV is trying to get a little bit more neck and shoulders above everyone else. And this is kind of like, this, this is, is a- yeah, this is, I guess this is their version of Orange is the New Black, where it's like a fan favorite. Yeah, it is yeah. like, it is one of the few, I guess, like true word of mouth hits that, that Apple TV has had so far. It really so, is word of mouth, yeah. Yeah, very much so. So I guess they're going to keep going with it. And I'm excited. I'm excited to, to keep watching it. And I guess I will, have to renew my apple tv plus subscription after my free trial ends just to keep up with this i'm excited for you to watch the end and we can we can talk about it offline later yeah so what did you watch uh this week felon going off from that very light-hearted note uh about kindness and empathy and how people should look out for each other <laughs> yes full 180 full 180 to industry on hbo the reason why it's a full 180 is because it's obviously firstly it's it's hbo so you know it's going to be all dark and gritty and whatever so it's a show that's created by uh it's created and written by mickey down and conrad k who they're both former investment banker wankers is what <laughs> was we like to call them in london so they both failed miserably as investment bankers and they went into writing and glad um, for that again for investment banking and again for tv writing as well so shout out to them they both knew they both knew each other from oxford and then worked uh, i don't know if they worked together at the same company but yeah so now they're writing together and they're executive producing the show yeah i watched the pilot of this and i was extremely unconvinced um episodes one to two i genuinely was just hmm. like eh. you know it's a show about investment banking don't know yeah. what i should be investing in um <laughs> emotionally but so yeah this show is about a bunch of uh, young university graduates who uh get like a glorified internship at an investment bank and they have to prove themselves for six months and at the end of the six months you know just like that beautiful high stakes of having to prove themselves and then if they are able to they get a permanent job mm-hmm. so the main protagonist is played by Mahala herald and she plays harper who is a, a grad from america and the whole setup is that like even from the pilot which is randomly directed by lena dunham so she did not graduate is kind of where you understand that to be mm-hmm. and she gets the interview she's interviewed by none other than kenny long baby uh <laughs> shout out to him absolute icon uh who ends up being her boss and um 
they kind of look out for each other. And the rest of the characters, one of them is a polyglot, overachieving, very, very rich, I guess, Arab girl born in London. Her name is Yasmin. She's played by Marissa Abella. And then another one is Rob, who's a working class kid who went to Oxford with Gus, who's very, very uh, prestigious uh, Thatcherite youth. And um, <laughs> and then Hari as well, who's also working class uh, Desi kid. But yeah, so it's it's like a cast of characters and it initially i've got to say it really reminded me of skins it's about a bunch of kids a bunch of teens getting into a whole bunch of adult shit that they shouldn't be getting into and also it's obviously it's the drugs it's the sex it's the grittiness it's a lot of all of that yeah there's so much of that yeah it's like full like full dick out like full frontal yeah in multiple occasions Um, titties out titties out off the jump titties out lines of coke all that I guess good shit when did you start watching it and how far are you so I started watching it actually a few days ago like for this long weekend and I'm five I'm done with five episodes which is all that's available on HBO right now and I yeah I unlike you I was kind of hooked by the end of episode one like with Mm. the big event that happens there um, the big tragedy and so I just kind of zoomed through the rest of the episodes and unexpectedly I mean I didn't really think I was I know nothing about investment banking. I didn't understand what an investment bank really was. No idea. I still don't, honestly. But yeah, I'm kind of, I'm really looking forward to to watching all of these, actually. Listen, give me a workplace drama any day and I'm in. Yeah, the and that's re- essentially what it is. But the, like the 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 reason why it was so hard for me to get into is obviously because like there's no virtue in what they're doing. No, and obviously investment banking is is literally just about making money, and mm. you know that is communicated to you throughout. These are not very likable people. I've got to say, I don't know if I'd be friends with any of these people. They are, there are endearing elements to every one of them. Mm-hmm. But the thing that the thing that really started to draw me in as the episodes progressed is understanding the motivations of each person and why they're doing what they're trying to do which is obviously just like succeeding for the sake of succeeding and I mean they know- have like they have various backgrounds like you know you know you learn some of them grow up with not that much money or others are sort of their their parents expect a lot from them or they set their own expectations that are really high mm-hmm. but yeah. yeah, different expectations, but I mean, none of them really sort of like excuse the career, the industry and the, the choices they're making. It is really mm-hmm. essentially like, well, we believe in the meritocracy of earning cold hard cash. There are several elements to it that I thought was really smart, actually, because initially it makes you feel like, oh, okay, but like you found one industry you wanted to make a workplace drama about it. Here you go. Like sex, drugs, throw it all in, mix the pot, HBO, out comes this show. Basically, it kind of felt a little bit, I don't know, patronizing to, to the viewer or to me anyway. But then as the episodes went on, it was saying something really interesting about class which is very important to the UK. And it's also saying something about representation in the workplace and what that means. And Gus, uh, who is, you know, the conservative Thatcherite, he's a black gay kid and he is eyes wide open about what he means to the company. Was there a point in which where you were just like, oh, this is really good? Because to me, there was that point. Like I was interested up until episode two, three, I was just like, yeah, okay, I guess I'll watch this. But then episode four came along which is when the protagonist the the smartest person in the room you know harper she is naturally like we are told that she is just naturally good at this and somehow she's just got like this weird sixth sense for it she fucks up and the fallout of that is amazing did you did, did you watch that episode well yeah like i was i was interested from the the end of the pilot i would say but i think that episode was sort of a 
standout and a turning point in terms of showing the the sort of fallibility of this main character who is seen to be full of ambition she's really driven she's really she gives no fuck she's like winner takes all but at the end of the day she's also like a kid in her early 20s and she fucks up massively and just keeps trying to hide it make it better and it it does not really until um it just keeps getting worse and then you see her sort of break down and call her mom which is an instinct that a lot of us will understand oh yeah um and just really yeah kind of unburden herself of everything that she has done which has just been a colossal failure that whole day yeah that's that's like the i think the, the strongest thing about this show is how much especially just coming out of university how much you have no idea about what it is that you want and you think you know because you have a plan and every single one of these characters has the plan which is i'm gonna make it through the six months internship i'm gonna get a permanent job and then all i need to do is just climb the corporate ladder and then Mm -hmm. that's the rest of my life like that that's it man is it not that (laughs) like just in terms of you know first of all you really don't know what you want to be doing with the rest of your life at the age of 21 period but secondly you realize once you're in a workplace especially like that where everything is dialed to 10 Mm -hmm. with regards to workplace harassment uh with regards to just blurred boundary lines everywhere you look it's nuts how much this is not just a workplace drama for people in investment banking but this is a workplace drama for anyone that has ever had a shitty job that they've ever hated or wanting to get out of or anyone that has ever had a job that they really were invested in and then they took a step back and they looked at the whole fucking picture and they were like yeah i'm gonna quit and then that that like turning point that you have in your head these kids obviously don't have that but you know us as you know being slightly older than them being in careers that we like a little bit more than maybe they realize that they like theirs it's really I wouldn't say triggering, but it was really like, you know, me nodding sagely at the screen. There was a lot of that happening where you were just like, oh, buddy, none of this matters. Let me tell yeah. you. Like, like this, this shit is numbers on his screen. Um, and their points were, you know, characters who are older than them, um, at least from the episodes I've seen so far, like clients or, or whatever, like they tell them, you know, this, there are things that are more important than this job and there are things that are mm-hmm. more important than money or like outside of this like for different priorities um yeah. yeah yeah that's like the the dose of reality that i think these these characters need it's it's interesting because it's a it's a very intelligent show even through the dialogue that the characters are intelligent themselves like they know how to make fun of the whole like capitalist versus socialist like argument and you know they know what it is that they're doing they're fully aware but it's times like when their mentors fail them that you're just like you want to shake the character and be like why do you want this yeah like these people are 60 anywhere between 50 and 60 years old and they're being sent to early retirement they're having to put their shit in a box and walk out of a place because they like lost a client after all these years and it's like it's gambling right it's essentially like that's what you're doing every day you're walking into a job you're playing with fake money it's just all very vapid that whole like late stage capitalist of it all is like i i have a question which um Mm -hmm. since you've seen the full season and i haven't um, my one sort of apprehension or quibble with this this show so far is that how it you know halfway through I wish that we knew more about the characters. There is a little bit yes. more about their background and mm-hmm. sort of showing how they tick and what you know what makes them tick and how they work and and why. Um, I'm missing that a little bit, especially from this yeah. our elusive like enigmatic lead. And I'm wondering like does mm-hmm. it does it get better like as the show progresses? Um. 
Not really. It's definitely a slow peel of a very large onion. Mm. And I, I, a part of me feels like that's there by design because mm. that way we renew for season two and three and then that way we, we find out more and more about who they are. Like, much like, I'm sure, the, the, here's the thing, like, it reminds me of Skins, but also you can tell that the writers love Mad Men yeah. because there's such a, there's such a heavy handed concealment from them with regards to information about all these people and then obviously th- these things will come to light they'll come out yeah i i agree though i do think that like there's slight show of hand with like yasmin and with harper but we know nothing about rob not really either we just know that he has a bit of a chip on his shoulder because he's working class and he went to oxford and like listen i, I know mate i know what that feels like <laughs> but you know we we don't really know anything about gus we we also know nothing about eric yeah i think I think my favorite thing about this show is how it handles the mentor-mentee relationship that Eric and Harper have. So this is the character played by Ken uh, Kenny Long. So he is very... I mean, I don't know. Like, episode four was great because I think she fucks up and then, like, finally confides in him. And then how that plays out is really, really interesting. But there's, like, a really pivotal moment that literally the following episode in episode five where all of that changes like i remember watching with my husband and my husband was like i don't like this it kind of feels like whiplash and the only thing that i thought was just like i understand that but also that's how abusive mental mentee relationships play out one minute it's fucking fantastic and then the next you feel like you've let your mum and your dad down all at the same time and you owe it to them and they make you feel like shit you just don't know what you're gonna get on it any day which i thought was just like a really fascinating way to kind of play that story keep into the theme of like you know being in a workplace and feeling like you have to kind of prove yourself what age were you when you realized that you didn't have to be emotionally invested in your job um probably only recently to be honest yep yep um it's kind of kind of sad but yeah that i mean i'm there's this this indoctrination of like, you know, if we have to work for all of our lives, for the majority of our lives, it might as well be something that you love or at least like. Um, but of course, that is a, a fantasy. Yeah, absolutely. Same. It's curious to see one of the characters actually towards the end, one of the characters does kind of wake up a little bit and decide that none of this is worth it and they'll be fine either way and just because like you know the series pilot it starts off with someone basically working themselves to death because they really really tried to prove themselves a little bit too hard and that's sad and listen wage labor capitalism it'll kill you mate don't let it kill you Uh, This week for Culture Notes, we want to talk about the New York Times piece about the 25 greatest actors of the 21st century so far. Um, Oh, it caused quite a stir. Yeah, it's doing exactly what it was designed to do, which was get people arguing and talking and saying who they left off or who they would have put in otherwise. Twitter was rife with how dare you this and how dare you that. And none of these people know what they're talking about. As we have obviously disagreed with due to our podcast name, criticism is definitely alive the girls are crazy about this let's talk about i guess our biggest takeaways of it well first off i just want to say like what an ingenious thing it is to cap the list at 25 like yeah perfect just enough for a little taste um also like not enough to stop people from fighting so of course everyone's talking about this Mm -hmm. (laughs) but otherwise like yeah i was a little bit pleasantly surprised i think by the international scope um like they have several actors and actresses 
who are not, you know, based in the US, not making a lot of, you know, mainstream Hollywood movies. Um, I think like, for example, they have Zhao Tao on there, who's a Chinese actress who whom I liked. Yeah, she's uh, really good in Ashes the Purious White. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just inclusions like that that are a little bit surprising, but um, I think like a, a great choice, honestly. Um, what about you? What What's yeah. one of your first takeaways from this? So um, they were obviously both Manola Douglas and A.O. Scott the next day when this came out were... Uh, explain the rules mm-hmm. for it because a lot of people were really pissed about certain things. Oh, what were the rules? Well, so the only one I saw was that like th- they wanted to only include people that were alive. Okay. So, same with regards to international actors and actresses. Mm-hmm. I think it's fantastic to include them. You've got some real heavy hitters in there. Absolutely. I think Denzel is number one. It is genius. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> like, give him his flowers right now. And um, I guess my biggest takeaway was two things why is michael b jordan in this list Mm. where the fuck is tony collette oh okay yeah so yeah tony collette needs to be on this list period i don't care what anyone says like she's incredible she's still alive she's so versatile so they're thinking get out thinking man's uh meryl streep yeah exactly like she doesn't just play herself she plays whoever you tell her to play man she becomes that person she's incredible but whereas you know michael b jordan i I have never thought that he could act like could actually act he's great in Fruitvale Station and like that's it <laughs> like <laughs> he's you know he's good at being mad but he's like he's a himbo so it's like you know he's just like hot and mad he's not giving me like you know he's not giving me snot he's not giving me like a little bit of washed up look when he needs to when he's going through it or whatever no like dude looks fucking hot no matter what he's doing yeah just like, I don't know man I think it's just like too early to kind of make that you know judgment on him yet I think mm-hmm. he needs more works in this filmography he needs kind of more yeah. breadth and then then you know maybe in 10 years when they rerun the this, this piece then we can see yeah. but it's kind yeah. of different from people like um like Shersha Ronan who has been acting for mm-hmm. like literally like 15 years already at your young yeah. age um it's a little bit yeah. different because you know Michael B. Jordan he's great people love him he's hot like he's fucking yeah, hot he's like you hell. said can I just say never forget the tweet Michael B. Jordan the beers for blowing my back out period <laughs> I, I'm gonna find out who wrote that tweet and we'll put it in our substack okay, yeah I don't I don't mean to admit credit I'm just the most forgetful bitch we'll alive, find so. the, we'll find the tweet we'll find the tweet <laughs> um but yeah Michael B. Jordan I think there are some eyebrows raised there let me see who speaking speaking of hotties the act why is keanu reeves in this list listen yeah i love i love i love him so much i love him so much but Same. i have no idea why he's on this list and number four I, also at number four the disrespect to leonardo dicaprio is what is going on dude like what's going on in the industry they just will not fuck with leo at all but yeah, number four, Keanu Reeves. I don't think so, sweetheart. Yeah. Viola Davis should be at number four, if anything. She's too low. I'm kind of pleasantly surprised by uh, Melissa McCarthy on here. I know, me too. I do like her. I do like her. Um, yeah. I liked, uh, I mean, she was phenomenal in Can You Ever Forgive Me, which I think is what a lot of people point to as, as signs of her, like, she's truly like, this is her acting cred. Um, so that's a little yeah. bit of a an eyebrow raiser, but also like, you know, good for her. Good for her. I didn't think that she was great in can you ever forgive me really okay yeah sorry i just thought she looked serious and that was it (laughs) is that mean i'm sorry mel (laughs) um shout out to short king gail garcia bernal making it just at number 25 25. you know i don't mind tilda Tilda swinton on there i think yes yeah man tilda tilda needs yeah she she deserves it she's a weird looking bitch i love her so much yeah 
Any anyone else you would you want to add to this list? I think Brian T. Henry should be on here, to be honest. Like, I know why not, because, like, he's made some, like, questionable choices, but just he in Atlanta and also mm. in uh, If Beale Street Could Talk. But you know what? We must think of the actors. What must they be going through in their little ivory towers right now? This is giving them a little something, and, you know, the girls are fighting on Twitter, so it's all it's like jolly good fun. Win, 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 yeah. Yeah. And that's what we've been watching this week. If you have an idea on who should or should not be on this list, let us know on Twitter, Instagram, all them things. Also, give us recommendations. Listen, we're a bottomless pit. Just tell us what to watch. We'll probably watch it. Yeah. Um, just let us know. Criticismisdead at gmail.com. But for extended show notes, please check out our Substack at criticismisdead.com. Um, Jenny's an absolute star and she throws in all you need for for your little accompaniment next to these uh, half an hour or so of audio entertainment from us Um, but thank you so much for listening please rate, review on Apple Podcasts and maybe tell a friend about us thanks, see you guys next week see you next week Criticism is Dead is produced by Pelin Keskin Lu and Jenny Ji Zhang. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Lu. <laughs>